0: The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I am, I'm awesomized at this service tonight. It's just incredible to see such beautiful faces and wonderful people in the house tonight. And we are just flat out, happy and proud to have you here tonight. And I promise I won't take long, but I hope I'm decent tonight. I hope I'm decent. Patty and I have been on a little R&R getaway for our anniversary, our 37th honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I tried to tell her all week how good she had it. And I kept crying realizing how great I had it. God blessed me with a wonderful wife and precious children and wonderful son-in-laws. Don't want to brag on them too much, but they are wonderful. What a joy. What a joy to pastor this blessed church. And I miss you when I'm gone, but I'm happy to be here tonight. We also will be speaking on Sunday, and I'm going to be speaking something on Sunday that is uh, prophetic. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in, uh, working in the prophetic on Sunday. What I mean by that is I'm going to talk to you not about the end of time, but about things in your life. And we're going to be speaking here on Sunday about some things that I believe that God has in store for you through a simple message that the Lord has laid on my heart for Sunday morning. So I'm asking you to get up out of bed if you're coming to the 9 o'clock service. I'm asking you to get just one cup of coffee if you're coming to 1030. And I'm asking you not to stay at the breakfast table too long if you're coming to noon service, all right? We want to see you here on Sunday. Everybody say, Pastor. Pastor. I'm going to be in the house of God. I love you very much. You can stand to your feet if you would. So the devil hollers up to the heavens and he says, we want to play heaven's baseball team on a neutral site. I'm going to bring up my fellas and God, you send down your fellas. We'll play baseball, see who wins on a neutral site. And heaven said, but you don't understand. Lucifer, you don't understand. We got all the greats, we got all the wonderful hitters, we got all the Hall of Famers up here. And Hale said, that ain't no problem. We got all the umpires down here. There you go. I still hadn't got over those saints getting cheated out of that victory down there in New Orleans. I'm about to preach now. I was in a doctor's office today and I picked up, the reason I'm thinking that, I picked up a Sports Illustrated magazine and it had that in that magazine and I I love Drew Brees and my heart just went out to the saints again. Of course, I love saints, you know, I love saints. (laughs) I'm not really into Rams or... I'm 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 speaking on a series the next four weeks, the next four weeks on sermons I want to preach. Not necessarily you want to hear, but sermons I want to preach. Hallelujah. Anybody see the All Star Game Sunday night? You know what I noticed about that game? Steph Curry didn't do a lot of shimmering, did he? You know why? He didn't make no shots. You got to make shots to do your shimmering. And uh, we had people at that game and they called me about it and I had to pray over a spirit of jealousy (laughs) because I truly, truly enjoy basketball. I really do. It was a a sport of my life when I was a kid and I enjoy basketball, still do. And uh, I don't think I can still play. No, 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 it's not there. But I still enjoy it and I I enjoyed watching it, even though it was just really a mockery of the game because, my Lord, if it wasn't a 30-foot shot, it was a dunk and everything was defense, defense was not good at all. They didn't play much defense. But what a joy to be back in church tonight. I'm just kind of talking to you, just kind of setting you up because I want to preach something to you tonight. I want to talk tonight on a message I want to preach called the Lion of God the Lion of God. And with God's help, I'm gonna talk about this. There's a beautiful scripture in the book of Judges uh, 3 that said, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and he went out to war And the Lord delivered Cushan Reshatham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Reshatham. So the land had rest for 40 years. All right? He did a pretty good job, didn't he? He beat the tar out of some people. They didn't want none of them for 40 years. I believe with all my heart that it's time for some of us to make our mark And let our land be at rest. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor preach. If you're a new member here tonight, a new person, we're glad to have you. God bless you. You're awesome people. Thank you. You may be seated. Like him or loathe him, I really enjoyed Muhammad Ali, I enjoyed Cassius Clay. And in this month of Black History Month, he's my opening illustration. He was probably one of the greatest heavyweight boxers in the sports history. Not only was he a skilled boxer, he was a great self-promotion man. (laughs) He would use clever pieces of short poetry to catch the imagination of the audience. And before his fight with Sonny Liston, I was a kid and I saw that fight. He said he was going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And then he said, Liston's hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. (laughs) That just moves me. (laughs) But he also used that poetry to challenge others to do better in life. He once gave this message to a college audience in New York. He said, stay in college. Get the knowledge. Stay there till you're through. If they can make penicillin out of moldy bread, they can sure make something out of you. That's pretty good stuff, I don't feel (laughs) you. Tonight, I'm talking about a man that God made something out of. He doesn't seem like much on the surface. Not too many Christians know who he was or perhaps what he even did. But he was important to God and his name is in this book. And God thinks it's important for us to know who this hero of the Old Testament was and perhaps what he did. His name was Othniel, meaning Lion of God, my, my, my title tonight, or God is Might. And he saved Israel from their sins. Let me give you a little background. Years before Othniel was even born, his uncle Caleb, you recognize that name, did something that impressed God. See, Caleb was just a young man when Israel was held in slavery in the land of Egypt. He was there when Moses came and challenged Pharaoh and told Pharaoh to let my people go. Caleb was there when God brought down the ten plagues upon Egypt to force Pharaoh to ask the people of God to leave. And he was there when God parted the Red Sea and allowed Israel to cross on dry ground and caused those same waters to collapse on the chariots And the armies of Pharaoh destroying the might of Egypt. And Caleb was there when the people of Israel came to the Mount of God, Mount Sinai. And he would see God come down upon that mountain with thunder and lightning and terrifying sound of the trumpet of God. And he was there just a few days later when God brought Israel because it was just an 11 day journey from Egypt to the land of promise. Just 11 days. He was there a few days later when God brought Israel to the very border of the land he had promised to give to his people. And Moses selected 12 men, 12, to go in and spy out the lay of the land and help him decide the best strategy. Not if they could, but the best strategy for taking Canaan. They knew it was theirs. And two of those spies were named Joshua and Caleb. Othniel's uncle. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Joshua and Caleb were overwhelmed by what they saw. The land literally flowed with milk and honey. I don't know if I've ever seen a land that flowed with milk and honey. I've seen water, but I've never seen milk flowing down streams. And they saw great cities that wouldn't have, they wouldn't have to build, and orchards they wouldn't have to plant, and wells that they wouldn't have to dig, and God said it was all theirs. And they remembered how God brought the plagues on Egypt And how he parted the Red Sea and how he showed his fearsome power on top of Mount Sinai. And they were convinced if God was giving them this land, nothing could stop them. Nothing. But the other ten spies didn't see it quite that way. They saw exactly the same things the other two did. They saw the beauty, the splendor, and the wonder of the land of promise. But these wonders were overshadowed by something else they saw. They saw giants. They saw huge, big old giants in the land. And in those giants, they saw defeat. They saw disaster. And they saw death. And they were afraid. And their fear when they came back to the camp spread throughout the entire camp of the people of God. But, and they became so frightened that they refused to obey God and enter the land of promise. They just wouldn't. So God said, fine. Fine. You don't want to go, you don't have to. You will never enter the land, I promise you. You'll die here in the desert. So everyone there died in the desert except two men, except two. Two didn't die in the desert, folks. Two men were allowed to enter the promised land because they believed God's promise. And those two men were named, say it again. Don't forget those names. Forty years later, Caleb enters the promised land at the age of 85, 85. And he's still convinced that if God promised something, oh, hallelujah, he would still provide it. It may have been 40 years since he got his promise, but if God promised it, he would provide it. So Caleb said to Joshua, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, the giants were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just like he said. God promised, Caleb believed, God delivered. And at 85 years of age, folks, 85 years of age, he cleaned out the giants in the land. I went to see the doctor this afternoon. It's kind of neat. He's my buddy. He's been my doctor since I was about 45 or 46. He just checks particular parts of me, mainly my heart. I'm good. I didn't go for a sad check. I went for a well check. But we got to talking, and he he, he he couldn't believe how young I was and how old I was at the same time. That's a fact. He's retiring in June. June the 7th will be his last day. And we got to talking about older men, older men. And he said, I I, have, I had this man come in. I've been his position for a long time, Pastor. And he said, when he was 88 years old, he's an old rancher out in Marble Falls. Said when he was 88 years old, said he would take a five-gallon bucket in this hand full and a five-gallon bucket in this hand full, and said somebody told me that weighs about 40 pounds apiece. And at 88, he could walk all the way from the barn to his house, which was about a quarter of a mile, and never stop to get his breath. And I said, that ain't nothing. I'm preaching about a man tonight. (laughs) He got tickled. I'm preaching about a man tonight at 85, whipped a bunch of giants in a bunch of fortified cities and took them out. He kind of said, I'd like for him to have been my patient. And Othniel was his nephew. And what was so special about Othniel, let's read one more time. The Israelites did evil. They forgot the Lord. They served Baal and Asherah. The anger of God burned against Israel. So he put them in the hands of Cushan, Reshathim, the king of Mesopotamia, or A-N, whatever you want to call it there, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer. And Othniel, the son of Canez, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Say, Othniel Othniel saved saved the Israelites. And all through the book of Judges, now I'm setting you up here, I'm gonna preach in a minute. But all through the book of Judges, it's the same story. It's like Israel never learned their lesson. The people would sin. And God always punishes sin by selling them into the hands of their enemy. And the people repent and plead for God to forgive them. And God raises up a judge or a deliverer to save them. And Israel is at peace as long as that judge lives. Because nobody wants any part of that judge after he tears them up because God raises up some bad boys. They might have wore a collar turned backwards, but they had something in their hand when they took that collar off. And what's interesting here is that Othniel is the first, everybody say first, first, of the judges. And God chose him to be the first deliverer of Israel from the results of their sin. But why choose him? Why choose Othniel? What was so special about this guy that we hardly can even pronounce his name? Let me give you a few reasons I can think of. Number one, Othniel was a man who was infected. Can I tell you, somebody told me a long time ago, you can't catch good health. But I'll tell you something you can catch. When you walk into a church that's praising God, you can catch some Praise. I've seen people that walked in and, and, and when I watched them, when the worship took off and people started clapping their hands, they'd look at their hands like, does mine do that too? And before you know it, they're doing this, you know, and they're trying to hit on beat. And before you know it, they're just clapping with the ease of everybody around here because when you walk in, worship and praise is infectious. Let me tell you something else that's infectious. The love of God in this house is infectious. You might have walked in hating your mother-in-law, but you may leave here tonight and go buy buy Chick-fil-A and get her some, some nuggets because there's something about the love of God that's just infectious, isn't it? You, you know why you want to come to church on Wednesday? not to hear a man preach a bald headed man Anyhow, you you're not here for that you're not here just for the band you're here because there's some infectious things that happen here there's things that go on here that you can't get out there by yourself and one of them is the praise and the love of God another is the, is the power and the presence of God and I'm going to tell you the third one is the faith of God you walk out of here And I've told you many times, you can walk out of here and whip a bear with a switch. And you have believed that. And I've seen some of you take your switches out on your way out. Because you knew you had a bear to fight. But there's some things that are just infectious. And he was infected with faith. And he caught his faith from someone else. Caleb, his uncle, infected him. And Othniel learned from Caleb how to have a bold faith and how to live a courageous life. Let me preach to you, don't misunderstand me now. Caleb was a man of faith, but Caleb's faith wasn't in himself. It wasn't the fact that he his strength and his cleverness, and his ability. Caleb's faith was based on the fact that God would always be with him. He promised him something for 40 years and he delivered. and his faith would always be with him. and there's no challenge. He wouldn't take on as long as God was by his side. David wrote in Psalms 18, he said, the Lord is my rock. Say it with me. The Lord is my rock. Say my fortress, my deliverer, my God in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. There's nothing weak there. That's what he is. That's the kind of man or woman that God's looking for. He's looking for a David. He's looking for a Caleb. He's looking for an Othniel. Othniel was a man of faith. I believe he was a man of faith because he hung around his uncle. I believe he caught his uncle's infectious faith. I guarantee his uncle said, watch this, son. Watch what we're going to do here. Come on up on this hill with me. It's a place called Hebron. Come on up here with me. You see that fort right there? We're going to tear it up. We're going to take it down. And Caleb is asking somebody in the first chapter of Judges somebody to step up and take out an important city for him. Now don't, don't if you're first time here, don't, don't think I'm about to lose my mind, but I'm fixing to preach. <laughs> Caleb said, I will give my daughter, Aksa, in marriage to the man who attacks and captures that city called Kariah Sefer. And the Bible said in Judges 1 and 13, Othno, the son of Canez, Caleb's younger brother, took it. He didn't talk about it. He didn't go discuss it with his committee. He didn't go talk to his family about it. He had a faith that was infectious in him from Caleb. In fact, Othniel never spoke a word in the Bible, but he captured a city. He took it. He just took it. I want to bring a man up here tonight. Come here, Brother John. Come here, buddy. You're my friend. Come here. You're a hero in this church. Come here, Brother John. You know what I'm tired of? You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of people talking about it and not doing anything about it. I'm tired of people saying, you know, one day I'm going to. One day it's going to happen. Quit talking about it and go ahead and just do it. If God said you can take that city, just go take it. If God said you can have liberty in your life, just take the liberty. If God said He's forgiven your sins, stand fast in the liberty wherewith God has made you free. Amen. This is this is my buddy, and he out kicked his coverage when he got his wife. But boy, he's a dandy. 2016 he had stomach cancer and the doctor took out most all of his stomach and declared that he wasn't going to live long. 2016. And then he went back to the doctor and he had some kind of hernia or something over here. I may not be telling it right, but I'm telling it. it. (laughs) And they took that out and the cancer was still there. And then he went back a little later and the doctor said, you know what? I don't think there's any cancer here. Now hang on. Some people need to quit talking about it and just take it. Some people need to quit filibustering and just take it. Now, Brother John, help me. But it returned, didn't it? It returned. Yes. It returned. Uh, terminal. Terminal, yes. Yeah. And they called it terminal. What year yeah. was this? Uh, 2017, of, uh, in, uh, 18? 18 18, 18, 18. Okay. Sit down. It's, it's going to get better. When they said terminal, he said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm so glad we can talk about these kind of things in this church. And people say, you've lost your mind. No, we haven't lost our mind. We have found a God that made a promise to us that if you'll ask, I'll give it to you. But I won't just give it to you. What you ask, I'll heap it up, press it down, shake it together, and I'll run it over. If you'll give to me, I'll give it back to you that way. And John Garza came to me when he had that terminal cancer theme from the doctor. And the doctor said, this, this is what we're going to call it, terminal. He walked in the door one Sunday. No, I went to see him. I went to see you at your house. Yeah. And you're sitting on the couch. He said, Pastor, I'm not going to die with this. I'm going to be healed. And I realized that day, there's no need me talk about funeral arrangements with this man. He was, he was weak. He was frail. He looked like the next step would be his last. But he said, I will be healed. See, there's some people, the difference between victors and people that just wish they could get in the arena is victors just take it and other people watch it being taken. What I want to preach, the reason I want to preach this message because I want some of you folks to quit talking about what you're going to become in Christ and just step out and take a hold of it tonight. I want deliverance to be yours tonight. I want healing to be yours tonight. I want faith to be yours tonight. I want victory to be yours tonight. I want triumph to be yours tonight. What was it three weeks ago? Uh, Last week. Last week. week. John Garza, you're cancer free. I will declare. I will declare. I will declare something. When God makes a promise, he knows how to keep his word. He cannot lie. How many times you gonna do that tonight, son? Come on. (laughs) Give Brother John a great hand. But give Jesus a greater hand than you gave John. Come on. I wish some of you could just get a hold of a concept of non-verbalizing. Always, you know, why don't you wait to worry? Why don't you just trust God right now? There's some faith in this house. There's some love in this house. There's peace in this house. You can get infected with all of it. It is not time for you to end your life. It's time for you to start your life. It's time for you to spend your life, not end your life, but spend your life for Jesus Christ. Even though Othniel was not a man of words, he was a man of action. And when Caleb throws down the challenge, Othniel just gets up, goes out, and takes it. Why? Because he hung around Caleb. And Caleb did stuff like that. He took mountains. He destroyed the Anakites, the giants at 85. Caleb trusts God and did mighty deeds. If Caleb can do it, Othno says, I can do it too. You know what John Garza decided? If it can happen in the book, it can happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had one of my men from the, my prayer breakfast I go to every other week in, in San Marcos. And Randy, you sung a song Where's Randy? <laughs> hey, buddy, how you doing? You <laughs> sung a song a couple of weeks ago, All My Hope Is In Jesus. And he said to me, if they sing that song again, I'm going to get up and just come to the front and just dance a little bit. And hit a probably be like this, like the two-step or something. He don't know. And you know what I told him? I said, don't talk about it. Just do it. I want to challenge this church this year to quit the talking and start being the doing. Quit the speech and start doing the doing. Become a person that just takes it because it's here for you, folks. It's here. Family miracles here for you. Healing's here for you. Deliverance is here for you. Holy Ghost is here for you. (laughs) Come on now, a new job is for you. I hugged one of my men's neck tonight, Coming, in and he said, Pastor, he asked me to pray for a job with him and we prayed and God gave him a great job, a better job he's ever had in his whole life with better pay and he hugged me and I said, man, I love my job. I hugged one of the young ladies tonight that, that just looks at me like a, perhaps a father. She may not think that now, but she asked me to pray. And I said, We'll pray. And she got a brand new position and a new job. And I said, How's it going? She said, Oh my God, I can't explain it. Don't explain it, just go take it. Just go do what you do because God has made us a gift and a promise and it's contagious. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm beside myself and I'm running out of time. Paul said, I can do all things, all things through Christ. Everybody say, I can do all things. See, people become persons of faith when they hang around people of faith. And that's what the church is all about. Church is a place where we hang out with other men and women of faith. And there are people who will try to tell you that they can be just as good as Christians without going to church. That's not true. It's not true. Never, never, never true. They, they may can be Christians without going to church, but they cannot be just as good a Christian that way. Because you don't get a hold of the infectious stuff out there that you get in here. Some of you are going to be infected tonight with the Jesus bug. Church is designed to be a place where faith is infectious, where strength comes, and where we're challenged to great deeds. Hebrews chapter 12 said, consider how you may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So let's don't give up meeting together. Let's come to church. You know, meeting together as a church on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday, and life groups, we have, we have over 800 people in our life groups. Thank you, Casey. Thank you so much. He's not in here tonight, but thank you. Give Casey a great hand tonight. You come up here on Tuesday morning, there's Bible study groups here. There's women's Bible study groups here. And and and, and Bible study groups is not just an end in itself. And life groups in church, you can have all the attendance pins you like, but it just being there is not enough. We are to be in church to catch each other's faith. I remember when I was a kid out in West Texas in a small little old church, there are two men challenge each other one year to see who could bring the most visitors to church the next month, and it was going to be a summer month. And the loser had to do all sorts of things for the winter, like mow his grass the whole summer, wash his car every week, or buy lunch anytime the two families went out to eat together. Fun times for a kid. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. Othno was chosen to save Israel because he was infected. And one of the greatest things you're going to be infected about with this church is the enthusiasm of this house. It's an enthusiastic place. No, it's not horn basketball. We win here. <laughs> I'll quit. <laughs> Number two, Othniel was chosen because he had, prepared, well, had been prepared beforehand. Say God prepared him. God Othniel him. just didn't sit around staring at the sky all day. He already had an active faith when God chose him. And he'd already gotten used to acting on that faith when he took that city for Caleb. When God wanted a man, Othniel was ready. Sometime back, I had a unique thought, and I want to share it with you. I got to thinking about some of the great heroes of the Scripture, men like Abraham and Joseph and David. And then it occurred to me that many of the Bible heroes were only known for one thing that they did, just one thing, have you ever thought about it? Just one thing. Noah, for example, he built an ark. He floated on the water for a while. Big deal. But it was a big deal. Gideon was known for defeating the Midianites with 300 men. That's a big deal, but it was a big deal. Esther was a beautiful queen in the land of Sheshan, an Israelite girl who was known only for one thing, putting her life on the line to save her people Israel. That's all you ever heard about her. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They spent time in a fiery furnace, but that's all they did in the importance of Scripture. But it was a big deal. Yes. And then there's Andrew, one of the 12 disciples. He introduced a brother, said, I, hey, brother, I want you to meet Jesus. Well, what, what's your name? Well, his name's Simon Peter. Wow, big deal. And of course, Ananias is known for baptizing Paul into Christ, and nothing else is said about him in Scripture, nothing He's not mentioned before or after the church change and conversion. Could it, could, I could go on. Many were just what we call one-hit wonders. Jackie D. Shannon, what the world needs now is love, sleep, love. That's all she ever said. <laughs> but I can still, still say her song. They were, the only, they were only known for one thing, but that one thing was something that shaped the course of biblical history. But something else I noticed about them. God just didn't pluck them out of the air. They had been training for years to be the kind of people that they had become. I read about some Benjamites in the Old Testament, 700 of them that had their right arm wounded perhaps in battle and they became acute and accurate with their left hand with slingshots and they could hit a hair's breadth at 50 meters. What do you mean? I mean they were prepared and when they went to battle, it don't matter what kind of weapon you had, we took one shot and took you down. Can you imagine how much David practiced before he fought the giant? Can you imagine? He, he took care of sheep and when one of those sheep got out of the line a little bit, he didn't want to run over every time. He just took that slingshot and just hit that lamb right in front of the nose and that lamb said, I don't think I'm going to go that way no more. I'm going to this way. <laughs> God prepared David. He prepared him. And everybody that God uses, he prepares. There's a professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut that wrote a book called Rescuers, The Portrait of the Holocaust Survivors. And he talks about these people who were used to save the Jewish people from the Holocaust. And many of them were rescuers before they were rescuers. Many of them visited people in the hospital, gave to the poor, took in little, little children, little orphan children into their home. And still some of them even took care of stray animals. Everything they did prepared them for the moment because it then became a natural thing. Now, I want to share something with you. If you want God to do something great in your life, don't just stare in the air Say, so he going to come down one day, going to pick me up, find me a husband. Because I don't want a job. I want a husband who's got a big job. He's going to get me a Maserati. I'm going to live in a six-bedroom home. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting on you, Lord. no you got to prepare yourself. you got to prepare yourself. And when you prepare yourself, look out. The Lord's coming. He's going to do something great for you. 2 Chronicles said, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Get committed to him and watch God work in your life. Come on, clap your heads with me right now. I'm almost finished. And the third thing, is Othniel was chosen to do what he did because God had set him up. God knows how to set you up. Yes. He knows how to set you up. I know it's an odd thought, but I really think God sets us up every now and then. Yeah. He puts us in the right place at the right time to do the right thing because he wants to prove something to somebody that don't believe that he can do anything. Yes. Right. Amen? Right. Consider these facts about Othniel. He was of the tribe of Judah. Say Judah. Judah. His name means Lion of God. He's chosen to be the first rescuer of Israel. And he rescues God's people from their sins. Does that sound like anybody else that I've preached about in this pulpit? Sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus was born to the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5 said he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he was sent to rescue us and to save us from our sin. But I thank God even threw in an extra nugget in here for us. The bad guy in this story is named Kushan rishatham Now aside from the fact that's an extremely hard name to pronounce and i practiced on it about four or five days. It has a meaning. Kushan rishatham means doubly wicked blackness. Does that sound like anybody else that you've heard of and kind of tangled you up in your life? Does that sound like Satan a little bit? The Lamb of God or the Lion of God came to defeat the one who is doubly wicked blackness so that we will be freed from the curse of our sin. Say amen to that. Hebrews 2 said, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That is cool. Othniel was the first deliverer of Israel in the book of Judges. And he was from the tribe of Judah. And his name meant line of God. And he rescued people from their sins. And nobody even bucked him for 40 years because he was so tough. It's all tied to Othniel, a simple man who was willing to trust. And my point is this. God's looking for folks who are willing to trust him. Anybody willing to trust? Willing to serve him. Anybody willing to serve him? Yes. And willing to let him set them up to do something powerful in their life. Several years ago I closed, ran if you'll help me. It's eight thirty and I need to hush. By the way, folks, I just thought I'd share with you. No medicine. No medicine. I think the shingles is finally gone. I'm happy. I won't share that anymore. I just thought I'd share it on Wednesday night because you've been praying your eyes out and your voice out and you've been giving everything you've got to the Lord, but it does work. Prayer does change things. Years ago, a young man went to secular college and he just went to be in the music program. His dad was willing to pay his tuition, so he went. And he decided to take classes that might help his ministry if he ever decided to follow God in that route. So he took things like sociology and psychology and philosophy. And one of the classes offered was called Religions of the West. And the description said it would cover Judaism and Christianity and even Islam and tell about their backgrounds and culture. So the young future pastor in his mind thought this should be no barrier given his plans to attend Bible college a couple of years. But the teacher had no intention of really telling about the nature of Western religions. His objective was to attack and undermine the faith of the students. For see, he was a non-believer. And his first class was dedicated to attacking the Old Testament. And he said that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Old Testament. Understand it's difficult to correct a professor in college when one's total religious education consisted of listening to sermons and going to Sunday school. So the young man didn't have much to say, but he did raise his hand anyway. And he said, that's not what I've always been taught and heard, sir. And he was pretty sure he impressed the professor. And the professor smiled back and said, that may be so, but the majority of scholars agree with me. Then he proceeded to attack more books of the Bible. And again, the young pastor to be raised his hand and offered a lame challenge. And again, the professor said that the majority of the people and the scholars agreed with him. And years later, as a pastor, he became a pastor. He realized how he must have looked to the other students because they hadn't paid to hear him talk. They had paid to hear the professor talk. And the young man was doing a little more than embarrassing himself, really. He just did not want the Bible to be treated like it was nothing. So back to college, to better prepare himself, he went to the campus ministry and asked if they had any resources that he could read that would help him do a better job of defending the word of God. Sure enough, when the professor got started on Christianity, his first words were that Matthew didn't write Matthew and Mark didn't write Mark and so on. And now the young theologian was ready and he raised his hand and he said, according to this scholar and that scholar, he was wrong because all of this and all of that and the other thing. And he felt good about himself. And the teacher paused for a moment knowing he'd never been challenged like this before. And then he said, well, the majority of scholars still agree with me. And the class was off and running. He attacked scriptures the whole semester. Then came the test and the young man answered all the questions. And then he wrote it at the bottom of the test. I need to apologize, sir. This is your class and I've been giving you a hard time all semester. But you've been attacking something that's very important to me. However, you're going to be teaching on Islam next and I don't care about what you say about them. I promise I won't bother you anymore. And the young theologian was done with him, but God wasn't. God knows how to set you up. And the professor no sooner got started in teaching about Islam than he began to talk about black Muslims. Black Muslims got him into a racial prejudice and racial prejudice took him to World War II. And he said that the reason we dropped the bomb on Japan and not the Germans was because the Germans were white and the Japanese weren't. Is that a dumb professor or what? Now we're talking history, not Bible. And the young man sighed. all right, what's wrong now, said the professor. There was no getting out of it. The young man responded, according to everything that I've read and everything I've heard, we didn't even have the bomb, sir, when when the Germans surrendered. We did too, he came back. We had it in 1942. Now by this time, Vietnam was over and Nixon had been impeached from presidency. And the young man realized he'd been lied to about a lot of things in life. Maybe thought the young men, they lied about this too, about the bomb. Once again, he's beaten down by the man who knew more about life than he did. And that's when God played his card. One back and four seats to the left a young girl raised her hand. She said, I'm sorry, sir, but you're wrong, professor. See, my dad, my father worked on the project of the bomb, and we didn't have the bomb until after Germany surrendered. Now notice what God did. He had set that young man up. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. I love this Close. He allowed him to make an absolute fool out of himself defending scripture all for the purpose of allowing that girl to expose the professor's false and wrong thinking. And in one fell swoop, she discredited everything that professor had said and made everything the young man had stood for have weight. Here's the point. You don't have to be all that impressive and all that smart, but God can use you anyway and I close tonight with this God can use anybody in this house tonight anybody anybody but pastor don't butt me don't you butt me don't you go there he can use anybody in this house the last time I checked God doesn't make junk you were created from the same sand I was created from we were just dust we're just flesh, but God made us. And when God made us, he can set us up for something great in the kingdom of God. And this year, this year, I want God to set you up. I want you to get I want you to get infected with faith and infected with love and infected with praise and baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want God to do great things in your life and I want God to set you up. I want you to walk in here one night unsuspecting and God walk up and say hey I'm here you ready to walk with me we may have to be picking you up off the floor you'll just say oh God he found me hallelujah he found me here's what I want to tell you God's got big plans for the church this year come on clap your hands God's got big plans for the church this year God's got big plans and it's not just a foyer and it's not just a new building here God's got great plans for the church this year. Because when you become a praiser and a worshiper, you become the lion of God. You become the lion of God. Stand to your feet all over the house. I love you very much. Thank you for letting me teach the gospel to you tonight. Thank you, Brother John. Thank you, Brother John. The miracle in the house. Amen. The miracle in the house. Thank you. I want you to turn to somebody. I want you to turn to somebody there beside you, on either side of you. Don't matter who you talk to. Maybe maybe somebody's got a better, a better acceptance of what you're gonna say. But just say this. I believe God can do and will do anything that I ask him for. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above that. We can ask or even think according to the power that worketh in us. He is able. Throw your hands in the air. Dear Father, in the name of the Lord, we love you tonight. We believe in you tonight. We trust you tonight. We thank you tonight. We honor you tonight. tonight. Thank you for a Wednesday night, God, of faith and love and courage and hope and deliverance and mercy. Thank you for all the things that you can infect us with. You're a God of heaven. You can touch our lives in so many ways. Now, God, set us up this year. Let us see the miracle working power of God. Let things happen in this church, God. Let things be found out in this church, God, this year. Let us understand, God, how great you really are this year. Let us enjoy the benefits of Calvary this year. Let us enjoy the benefits of the resurrection this year. Let us enjoy, God, everything you have for us. Let us absolutely just swim in the river of the love of God. And let us know without a shadow of a doubt that you're working with us and for us and through us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen. I didn't hold you real long. I love you. God bless you. Sermons I want to preach. I can't wait till next Wednesday. I got one for you. I love you. God bless. Have a great, great night. You're awesome people. You're awesome people. You're awesome people.